Chapter Fourteen of the Fortunes of Glencore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fortunes of Glencore by Charles James Lever. Chapter Fourteen. Billy Trainer and the Colonel. It was a fine breezy morning as the Colonel set out with Billy Trainer for Belmullet the bridle path by which they travelled led through a wild and thinly inhabited tract now dipping down between grassy hills now tracing its course along the cliffs over the sea tall ferns covered the slopes protected from the west winds and here and there little copses of stunted oak showed the traces of what had once been forest it was on the whole a silent and dreary region so that the travellers felt it even relief as they drew nigh the bright blue sea and heard the sonorous booming of the waves as they broke along the shore it cheers one to come up out of those dreary dells and hear the pleasant plash of the sea said harcourt and his bright face showed that he felt the enjoyment so it does sir said billy and yet homer makes his hero go heavy-hearted as he hears the ever-sounding sea what does that signify doctor said harcourt impatiently telling me what a character in a fiction feels affects me no more than telling me what he does why man the one is as unreal as the other the fellow that created him fashioned his thoughts as well as his actions to be sure he did but when the fellow is a genius what he makes is as much a creature as either you or myself come come doctor no mystification i don't mean any broke in billy what i want to say is this that as we read every character to elicit truth truth in the working of human motives truth in passion truth in all the struggles of our poor weak natures why wouldn't a great genius like homer or shakespeare or milton be better able to show us this in some picture drawn by themselves than you or i be able to find it out for ourselves harcourt shook his head doubtfully well now said billy returning to the charge did you ever see a waxwork model of anatomy every nerve and sinew of a nerve was there not a vein nor an artery wanting the artist that made it all just wanted to show you where everything was but he never wanted you to believe it was alive or ever had been but with genius it's different he just gives you some traits of a character he points him out to you passing just as i would to a man going along the street and there he is alive for ever and ever not like you and me that will be dead and buried to-morrow or next day and the most known of us three lines in a parish registry but he goes down to posterity an example an illustration or a warning maybe to thousands and thousands of living men don't talk to me about fiction what he thought and felt is truer than all that you and i and a score like us ever did or ever will do the creations of genius are the landmarks of humanity and well for us is it that we have such to guide us all this may be very fine said harcourt contemptuously but give me the sentiments of a living man or one that has lived in preference to all the imaginary characters that have ever adorned a story just as i suppose that you'd say that a soldier in the blues or some big hulking corporal in the guards is a finer model of the human form than ever praxiteles chiselled 
i know which i'd rather have alongside of me in a charge doctor said harcourt laughing and then to change the topic he pointed to a lone cabin on the seashore miles away as it seemed from all other habitations that's michael caddy sir said trainer he lives by birds hunting them seagulls and cormorants through the crevices of the rocks and stealing the eggs there isn't a precipice that he won't climb not a cliff that he won't face well if that be his home the pursuit does not seem a profitable one tis as good as breaking stones on the road for fourpence a day or carrying seaweed five miles on your back to manure the potatoes said billy mournfully that's exactly the very thing that puzzles me said harcourt why in a country so remarkable for fertility every one should be so miserably poor and you never heard any explanation of it never at least never one that satisfied me nor ever will you said billy sententiously and why so because said he drawing a long breath as if preparing for a discourse because there's no man capable of going into the whole subject for it's not merely an economical question or a social one but it is metaphysical and religious and political and ethnological and historical ay and geographical too you have to consider first who and what are the aborigines a conquered people that never gave in they were conquered who are the rulers a saxon race that always felt that they were inferior to them they ruled over by jove doctor i must stop you there i never heard any acknowledgment of this inferiority you speak of i'd like to get a gold medal for arguing out with you said billy and after all i don't see how it would resolve the original doubt said harcourt i want to know why the people are so poor and i don't want to hear of the battle of clontarf for the danes at dundalk there it is you'd like to narrow down a great question of race language traditions and laws to a little miserable dispute about labor and wages oh manchester manchester how you're in the heart of every englishman rich or poor gentle or simple you say you never heard of any confession of inferiority of course you didn't but quite the reverse a very confident sense of being far better than poor irish and i'll tell you how and why just as you yourself after a discussion with me when you find yourself dead bait and not a word to reply you'll go home to a good dinner and a bottle of wine dry clothes and a bright fire and no matter how hard my argument pushed you you'll remember that i'm in rags in a dirty cabin with potatoes to eat and water to drink and you'll say at all events i'm better off than he is and there's your superiority neither more or less there it is and all the while i'm saying the same thing to myself sorrow matter for his fine broadcloth and his white linen and his very best roast beef that he's aten i'm his master in all that dignifies the species in them grand qualities that makes us poets rhetoricians and the like in those elegant attributes that as the poet says in all our pursuits lift us high above brutes in these i say again i'm his master as billy finished his growing panegyric upon his country and himself he burst out in a joyous laugh and cried did you ever hear conceit like that 
did you ever expect to see the day that a ragged poor blackguard like me would dare say as much to one like you after all it's the greatest compliment i could pay you how so billy i don't exactly see that why that if you weren't a gentleman a real gentleman born and bred i could never have ventured to tell you what i said now it is because in your own refined feelings you can pardon all the coarseness of mine that i have my safety you're as great a courtier as you are a scholar billy said harcourt laughing meanwhile i'm not likely to be enlightened as to the cause of irish poverty tea is a whole volume i could write on the same subject said billy for there's so many causes in operation combinin and assistin and aggravatin each other but if you want the head and the front of the mischief in one word it is this that no irishman ever gave his heart and soul to his own business but always was mindin something else that he had nothing to say to and so ye see the priest does be thinkin of politics the parson's thinkin of the priest the people are always on the watch for a crack at the agent or the tithe proctor and the landlord instead of looking after his property is up in dublin dinin with the lord lieutenant and abusin his tenants i don't want to screen myself nor say i'm better than my neighbors for though i have a learned profession to live by i'd rather be writin a ballad and singin it too down thomas street than i be lecturin at the surgeon's hall you are certainly a very strange people said harcourt and yet there's another thing stranger still which is that your countrymen never took any advantage of our eccentricities to rule us by and if they had any wit in their heads they'd have seen easy enough that all these traits are exactly the clues to a nation's heart that's what pitt meant when he said let me make the songs of a people and i don't care who makes the laws look down now in that glen before you as far as you can see there's bell mullet and ain't you glad to be so near your journey's end for you are mighty tired of all this discoursin on the contrary billy even when i disagree with what you say i'm pleased to hear your reasons at the same time i'm glad we are drawing nigh to this poor boy and i only trust we may not be too late billy muttered a pious concurrence in the wish and they rode along for some time in silence thar's the bay of bill mullet now under your feet cried billy as he pulled up short and pointed with his whip seaward there's five fathoms and fine anchoring ground on every inch you see there there's elegant shelter from tempestuous winds there's a coast rich in herrings oysters lobsters and crabs farther out there's cod and haddock and mackerel in the season there's sea-rack for kelp and every other conveyance any one can require and a poorer set of devils than you'll see when we get down there there's nowhere to be found well well if idleness is bliss it's folly to work hard and with this paraphrase billy made way for the colonel as the path had now become too narrow for two abreast and in this way they descended to the shore end of chapter fourteen recording by linda fredericks modesto california august two thousand twelve